Hey everyone, welcome to Trump Steak. So good to be back. It's only been a short five days. It's our special July 4th issue. Yeah. Which I just want to say was one of our best performing issues. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. Today we are back with another exciting installment of Trump Abroad. Trump Abroad. <laughs> we, those yeah. are some of our best episodes. Trump uh, just got back from the G20. I don't think everyone doesn't know the G20 is like the biggest 20 economies and they meet and uh, talk about how they're going to manage the world, which yeah. is what we're not talking about, yeah. but is a weird concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of always been the United States' party, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, there's the different there's different levels of. Well, of there's G8, G8, there's there's the G7, there's the G8, there's the G20. Well, there's no G7 anymore. Because Russia, there used to be G7, and then Russia came in. Anyway, point is, um, they're usually like, their stuff gets done. This one was, nothing really happened substantively. But in other ways, it was the most important G20 that I can remember, at least. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I, I can't remember one across the Trump, I mean, Obama administration, which was nearly as influential. It says like a lot of really important things about um, how Trump is kind of changing the United States' place in the world and goes back to what we were talking last week uh, about the U.S.'s place in the world. Yeah. Gave a lot of really interesting data points on that. Very much so. He started out in Warsaw, Poland, before going to Hamburg, where the summit was actually held. Gave sort of like... Hamburg, Germany. Um, gave sort of a right-wing Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller kind of wet dream of a speech in Warsaw. Wet dream of, of a speech. Do you think they call them the Steves? The Steves. Where are the Steves? Put the Steves on this. Oh, God. It was, so, it, yeah, their fingerprints were all over it about, you know, are, is is the West, you know, going to save its civilization from kind of like this unnamed malady, but like which suggested to be like Islam and non- like the perils of... The peoples of the, Asia. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the hordes. Yeah. Um, yeah, sort of like this barbarians at the gates type thing. Really yeah. some crazy language. Yeah, like what you were saying. Uh, do, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean just kind of like I, people found a number of like the same themes just like written in like racist 4chan forums. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like disturbingly similar to the, the, the text of the president's speech. Well, I think that, you know, one of the statements that was highlighted in a lot of headlines was does the United States – oh, does the West have the will to survive? Yeah. Like, like what is that? Like hatchet? Yeah. Like <laughs> – can he figure it out? Can he get out of the wilderness? Uh, and the irony is, um, so I'm just gonna go with yes, okay, like we do. Yeah. <laughs> so he, that's a pretty bold statement. But what was the existential threat to the West? The sort of terrorism in his mind, not um, mentioned though. But yeah, not really clearly spelled out. And and the sort of major irony with it is. Uh, you know, Poland is sort of going through a somewhat concerning democratic retrenchment. There's like a constitutional crisis with its Supreme Court. The government is taking steps to really rein in independent media. And in this trip in Poland, you know, he's he's talking about threats to like Western values and then like systematically attacking a free press. And it's like, well, yeah. like what? 
what's the I real mean, threat here? He probably he at least was probably not even aware of those dynamics. But I'm sure Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon were. The, um, the, the uh, I forget what I was gonna say. It was fucked. It was fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Mo- yeah. I mean, Poland's an interesting country. It's got nationalisms on the rise everywhere. Polish nationalism makes a little bit of sense because they're sort of just like alternatingly conquered. Like literally yeah, every didn't third. exist for like 130. Yeah, years. Yeah, every 30 or yeah. 40 years, like either Germany or Russia like takes them over and like kills millions of them or something. Yeah, or literally kills millions of them. And so uh, in that context, like I kind of understand it, but it is concerning. And Poland's part of the EU, which is like doubly concerning because uh, it's part of the system, which is like the most liberal. And by liberal, I mean internationally liberal system of, like, democratic values and kind of, like, Wilsonianism and all that. So the fact that it's drifting right is, like, a metaphor for, like, all the other problems with Europe that we've talked about. Yeah. And so what did you think Trump was trying to accomplish there? What was the audience, really? That's a really good question. I think it was, um, you know, as you've mentioned, it's sort of like a a pre uh Hamburg sort of shout out to kind of the illiberal voices in the in the room in Europe. Like we're going to Europe, um, but the the Bannon wing of the White House is really skeptical of the role of international institutions like the EU and the kind of globalist agenda that they see it embodying. And I think it was uh, an attempt to kind of bloody the nose of that before having to yeah, engage. Yeah, set, set the tone. Like, if, if you're going to, if the plan was to, like, go to the G20 and be like, ah, we really want to allay some of these anxieties about the United States being opposed to the post-World War II order, yeah. you wouldn't, like, go to Hamburg via Warsaw, which yeah, is but, literally. But, you know, to Trump's credit, in Warsaw, he did offer a fairly strong endorsement of NATO, probably the strongest, the one that he failed to do when he was at the NATO summit last uh, month or two ago, um, and did talk about the importance of yeah, of the, the alliance. Well, you can sort of see in that speech, though, shades of just, like, the broader war within the Trump administration. Like, I'm sure Bannon and Miller fought for the... Western civilization language and McMaster, Pence, et al. fought for the NATO language because they realized if he didn't decisively affirm NATO, like it was going to be a major problem. Yeah. So I think there are shades of just like fights in that speech. But yeah. I want to give him credit for saying it. It was mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Uh, and also, subsequently, Tillerson has said that the sanctions on Russia won't be lifted until Russia leaves eastern Ukraine, which is interesting. It is. So there's developments there. But at the same time, Trump's sort of undermined that message. Yeah, uh, constantly. Uh, I think the you know, the biggest takeaway from the G20 meeting, or one of them at least. Well, what about in, in Warsaw? He said some – like what did he say about Russia and Warsaw in terms of their – you talked about their uh, impact on the election, right? Uh, I'm not sure. No, I read it. Yeah, it, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to get it in, which was yeah. that uh, – he was like, maybe he, he repeated his line. He's like, maybe the Russians did it. Maybe other people did it. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. In a, in a press conference. Yeah, he yeah. got asked. I thought you were talking about Tillerson saying something. Oh, no, sorry. I, yeah, I wasn't confused. being clear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he he sowed doubt about the U.S. intelligence capabilities, like brought up the Iraq WMD example. I mean, like, who knows anything? Like, yeah. I'm just a fucking guy, like, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and... You know, it could have been Russia, it could have been anybody else, which is, like, not what the intelligence community has said. Like, there are no other suspects. It's 
pretty well confirmed that's Russia. Um, and gearing up for, in Hamburg, a one-on-one meeting with Putin, their first time face-to-face, uh, he really kind of opened the door to just sow doubt over kind of the, enti- the United States' entire position on Russian meddling in the election. And so on Friday, he finally met with Putin, only sat down with him and Foreign Minister Lavrov and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and translators. No note taker, no national security advisor, uh, and immediately there were conflicting reports out of both sides about what was said around the election meddling. That's so interesting. I don't, so on one hand, I think Trump probably wanted that way because A, or uh, Trump and other people probably wanted it that way because he's so uninformed that even if there was no nefarious intent, inevitably he would say something offensive. Yeah, shockingly base. embarrassing. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you don't want that. You don't want that in the room. Uh, and the other thing is there's probably some desire on Trump's part to kind of talk brass tacks, you know, not – you know, have an honest conversation, not, yeah. not feel like you had to be politically correct by being transparent. So, yeah, <laughs> we see which one won out there. So the meeting was scheduled to go for 30 minutes. It went for over two hours. Yeah. They at one point, Mel- Melania was sent in. Yeah. To and, break it up. And failed. And once again, Melania was humiliated in the name of her husband's political yeah. career. <laughs> God. Greg doesn't feel bad for Melania, but I do. No. She's uh, that poor woman. She, she just wanted a better life for herself and her child. Uh, the child was born after, <laughs> after the, her, like the, her future child. Anyway, uh, I also think the way that meeting was set up totally allowed the Russian, like, teed up the Russians to. They played him like a fiddle. Do you like some, you know, information warfare immediately? Well, this is what Trump said. Like Trump said, he accepted Putin's explanation. Yeah, I mean, even even from just the optics of it, of. Um, you know, Trump extends his hand to shake it when they're sitting there. And Putin waits to extend his hand and looks at it. And, of course, this picture gets taken a thousand times of, like, an outstretched hand from Trump while, like, Putin contemplates it. And it was, like, immediately all oh, over I the media in Russia. Um, and it was just – it was designed to, like, demonstrate Putin as, like, an equal international player. I mean, it, like, they immediately weaponized the images right out of there, just like with the Oval Office meeting with Russian ambassador – um, Sergei Kislyak and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, where they took pictures of the meeting and then released them of like Trump yucking it up and everything, and making it look like oh, you know, the United States needs Russia to solve the tough world, to the tough problems of the world. That's interesting. And then the um, the the readout of the meeting on the U.S. side was sort of ambiguous. Yeah, uh, is Trump quote pressed Putin? At least two times on it, pressed. Yeah. There's no, there was no statement about what Trump said in the pressing or if he accepted Putin's explanation. Yeah, the Russians say he did. And then for the a, U.S. hasn't really denied that. And Trump went on a Twitter t- storm this morning where he also didn't say that he rejected. That he's like they vehemently denied it, and we're moving on. Yeah, and then also, but Pence said something which was also kind of, so no one knows as usual. Yeah. There's no unified message. Uh, knowing what we know about Trump, like there's no reason to believe that he decisively embraced the fact that no. the Russians intervened. I'm just waiting for him to blurt out, like, why would I tell someone who's trying to help me to stop? Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And he looked so sad. He was like a... 
The most he, comfortable he, he looked at that meeting was, or at the whole G20, that is, is when he met with Putin. Every other time, he was, like, walking around like a mopey dog. It, yeah, I mean, I... Like, confused and... Yeah, it's kind of like when you go to a party and, you like, you don't know everyone and you're, like, having a good conversation and then, like, you've been having it too long. Yeah. So you're, like, oh, I gotta, like, move and then the person you're talking to leaves and, like, you don't know how to join another circle so you kind of, like... Get a drink. I don't know. Yeah, it's like <laughs> oh, those. Not that that's happened to me any. Yeah, <laughs> recently. But I know there's just cr- this crazy footage of him like wandering around the main meeting hall, and no one's talking to him. Well, it's a metaphor, you know, for you know, I'm queen. I'm a guy from Queens, and, like I want to be part of Manhattan. And the European people are so Manhattan, you know. <laughs> Seriously, they probably have yeah. houses in Manhattan. Yeah, if you think Manhattan's bad, try Paris. Like Europe right. is really sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> serious, man. You go it there. Doesn't have the will to survive, though. It does. You go there, and um, so someone last night was telling me that they stayed in an Airbnb in France, and they, their Airbnb host like made fresh bread every morning in like a cast iron Dutch oven, mm-hmm. and like every day, I'd be like, I am such a bad cook. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry that this bread is so bad. She's literally baking fresh made bread every single morning. Yeah, and apologizing for like how bad the bread is. Which tells you something. <laughs> Which tells you something about Europe. Yeah. Just, yeah what, what, they're sophisticated. They're, yeah. You know, their cows are like, their cows practically have degrees <laughs> in certain parts of the continent. Yeah. <laughs> so um, these people are not like Trump. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of nervousness over the United States removing itself from the Paris Climate Accords. Um and, you know, it seems like if you know that you're kind of going to burn that bridge, right, and make your allies uncomfortable, you need to take some sort of comparable step on, like, a different issue that you can all agree on to, like, yeah. continue to, you know, build momentum and, like, support for, you know, your allies. And North Korea's intercontinental ballistic missile tests last week provided, like, the perfect platform for... The international community to, like, come together and put pressure on China and Russia. I'm going to just chalk that one up to incompetence. And they're not they're not on the ball. And they didn't they didn't do anything. They didn't. It was like the easiest thing you could have gotten a unanimous statement on. And then I think and they didn't bring it up. They were waiting for the United States to bring it up. Trump had a meeting with China on this. And uh, and. I don't know. He said what he's always been saying, which is they're going to do something about it. There's pressure. So, like, countervailing theory. I don't think they're so dumb that they wouldn't want to have pushed for it. There is a possibility that Russia and China were not going to go along with the language the U.S. wanted. But that would just make them look bad. Mm, yeah, I suppose. I mean, it would, but I don't know. There, there might have been pressure on the U.S. to, like, get language that like wouldn't have been satisfactory to the United States so maybe they avoided it or or maybe there was basically uh, a, like a decision on the, for whatever reason that it wasn't worth it or uh, I'm just playing devil's advocate yeah. here who know? knows yeah it it doesn't make much sense do you think we it kind of be an interesting stunt to go walk down to the white house with a megaphone and just yell that for like hours what it's like why wasn't a statement on north korea part of the joint communique <laughs> just like saying that over and over again I bet you at a certain point we get on TV. Be great for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we need Let's to do, do guerrilla marketing. Yeah. What do you think? I'm in. What yeah. do you think that would look like? 
we'll get some gorilla suits yeah. and broadcast live from the metro at Capitol. There you go, Capital, Capital South. South, live from the platform. Yeah, I sat next to Richard Burr on a plane a couple of weeks ago. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Did you? I was like, raise anything with him. I was like, just appreciate what you're doing. He was like, thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to pester him, you know. Yeah. Okay. He's been very active in the Russia investigation. Yeah, chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Seems like a good guy. Um, so speaking of the Russian investigation, uh, there was a lot to overshadow Trump's meeting with Putin around. There were distractions from the Trump agenda? Yes, many of them. Surprise. Um, and one of the, the most ridiculous things to come out of that meeting was the suggestion that the United States and Russia would partner on, like, cybersecurity initiatives. What did they call it? Uh, They called it something weird. Uh, it's like a cybersecurity iron task force. Yeah, and it, like we'll never know because there's no note yeah, taker. Th- this is on the same day that on the front page of the Washington Post, it's like Russia breaches nuclear facilities in U.S. Yeah. Like attempting to manipulate nuclear energy facilities. Well, they the didn't. They States. were on the corporate network. So yeah, they they, they weren't in the the industry systems, but. Uh, they were halfway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like yes, the trusted partner. Oh, it's absurd. It, it's and it's and absurd. and just the weakness in terms of the pushback against their like unprecedented interference in the United States' affairs makes us it makes us look so weak. Yeah, and when the intelligence community has said that they will do this again, um, Trump's statements, which have like this weird logical inconsistency in it, where it's like we're not sure the Russians did it, but Obama didn't do enough about it. Yeah, and so then it's like, well, so what are you doing to make sure it doesn't happen again in 2018 or 2020? Like Trump's attack being more forceful at his predecessor than at Putin really should should push people to ask, well, like, what are you doing to prevent this? Like now you're the president, and well, the the Chris Kobach Voter Integrity Commission is not the answer. Oh God, uh, yeah, we never talked about that. Look it up. You know, it's a like clusterfuck. Yeah. I think that with this meeting, by failing to push back on their in, interfering, um, he's essentially invited them to do it again. Well, I mean, I, I agree. It's interesting you brought that up, though, because we didn't talk about the, like, the, the anti-John Podesta tweet. Yeah. Where he said, John Podesta, chairman of the Hillary Clinton campaign, got hacked. Not part of the DNC hack. Separate thing. And... Uh, he was like, everyone at the G20 is talking about yeah. <laughs> like why John Podesta didn't turn over the DNC server, which makes no sense because John no. Podesta didn't work at the DNC. Yeah. And the idea that everyone is talking about it is absurd. It's yeah. so obviously false. Um, <sighs> yeah, ridiculous. What does that remind you of? It's sort of like a – I don't know. It's like a kid trying to like – Yeah. There, uh, I read one article where they talked with – like a White House aide anonymously who was like, like he brought that up in a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but that's everyone's it. talking yeah, about everyone's it. Everyone's talking about it. John, then John Podesta wrote an uh, op-ed in the Washington Post. Yeah. He was like, "Do your job instead, yeah, like, instead of focusing you, on this." Why are you tweeting about me? Well, yeah. what happens with it is with him he, is there's like one piece of information which is like moderately sympathetic to him, where it can be spun disingenuously to be uh, sympathetic to him and then he latches onto it like a barnacle yeah. on a boat 
as one barnacle does. Yeah. What do barnacles go on? Oh, never mind. I know the answer. All right. <laughs> rocks. Be, yeah. Rocks, too. <laughs> yeah. So um, coming out of the G20, uh, nothing really got done. Uh, Trump didn't hold uh, an on-camera press briefing before leaving Germany, which is very normal. And if you would think that if the United States got so much done, uh, it would want to really celebrate and highlight those achievements. Instead, he just sort of fled. Well, um, I mean, that, that, and that makes political sense because every time Trump gets in front of the camera and is asked substantive questions, like he falls apart and there's like a huge news – there's yeah. like a whole week of negative news and – um, you know, they're obviously going to try to pass healthcare next week. <laughs> good job. Great. Great. Yeah. Good luck. So, I mean, it makes sense from a White House perspective about why you would restrict access to him. And, uh, you know, and also there's the whole question of about, you know, how coherent he is and how much he can articulate policy. I uh, think he should just get asked, like, the simplest questions ever. Can like, we submit multiple choice questions? You know, no, no. I just guesses. You know, because, like, so often it seems like journalists – um, you know, phrase it like a two-part sort of complicated question with a lot of, uh, mm. you know, contextualizing and stuff. And it gives so many opportunities to avoid the main thrust of the question because there's enough to dance around that it sounds like you're answering it, but you're not. But he should just get asked, like, Mr. President, on your health care proposal, can you explain the changes that – it will make to the reimbursement of Medicaid that's and how that's, how that's different from current law. No, I think that's a really good point, but I think it has to be even simpler than that. I saw, and I'm usually not into Vox, but Vox had a really interesting article where they went on the Hill, and I think they asked people... Um, oh, yeah, for like their affirmative vision of the... Or like, what are you trying to do with this yeah, legislation? Yeah, it was like, what is the purpose of this law? Yeah. And there was no consensus about it. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's sometimes follow-ups. Like, do you believe this law will make insurance more affordable for people who want it <laughs> and so yeah i think you're right i think you're that's a really good point the questions to this administration need to be super simple yeah and reporters need to stop you, you, you doing what you're talking about sort of like the tap dancing like look at my yeah. journalism degree Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it was and like we said at the beginning of the show we there's never been a G20 like this where the United States was so irrelevant. I mean, did we even talk about the climate change statement? The the one the the United States was not a part was of. not a part so of. It was nineteen nine, to one mm-hmm. about the, the the international community saw that the Paris Accord was like irreversible. And the United States got some weird language in there about access to energy security. It didn't make yeah. Any it's, sense. It was like the, around like the spread of fossil fuels, like. Kind of like thrusting against like the exact spirit of the Paris Accords. Oh, I know. Yeah, and there was um that was a that that reminded me of his his visit to the Energy Department like two weeks ago, where he did not mention renewable energy. Yeah, and was just and then it was it was interesting. It was in this conference room that was really small and it was beige and low ceilings, and he gave like this entirely unremarkable speech, and then it ended. And they sort of they played like that presidential song. It's like da 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 da, and then they're like, "You swear!" And the music was so glad, so loud. I thought like balloons were gonna drop from the ceiling. He literally announced nothing. It was yeah. bizarre. So strange. So now we're back to normal. He's back on the golf course. Yep, back on the golf course. Um, golf diplomacy. Yeah, um, but I think really, really damaging. I mean, our if we thought his first trip abroad and. The, you know, the NATO summit that he went to then was bad. I think he's just reinforced the 
the worst interpretations of that after this trip. Yeah, and I don't know. When's his? He, he sort of has a break. When's his next trip abroad? Oh, he might go to uh, England. Oh yeah, there was a chance. And he was, France for he, Bastille Day. Yeah, he's been invited to France. He his England trip has sort of been postponed because he's apparently scared of large-scale protests greeting his arrival. So mm. uh, there was a chance that it was going to be part of this trip, but with only, like, 24-hour notice, and he was literally going to, like, sneak in in the dead of night. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't well, know. Well, when he does go back abroad, like, we'll be here to cover it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep you informed. Yeah. Uh, th- hopefully things settle down. Now it's really the next couple of weeks are kind of Congress's ball. Yeah, um, until the August recess. I don't think the the White House is really going to be playing a huge role over the next month or so, unless they release a tax plan, which they won't. So we'll see. We'll keep you posted. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.